We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. What's going on? I hope you're doing well on a Saturday, a sunny Saturday, the way I see it, out of our downtown Chicago studios right now. Along with Mike Esposito, I'm Mark Grody. 312-644-6767 is the number. We've been talking a ton of Bears, and we'll do more of it in 20 minutes from now when we go to Tampa Bay to get the Buccaneers' perspective on how the Bears could potentially beat Tampa Bay. But, Mike, did you cover the the White Sox World Series in 2005? I did. In fact, that was one of the very first things I did as a proud member of the SCORE staff. I oh. was hired in the summer of 05. Our, our mutual friend and your sometime roommate, Chris Ranji, uh, <laughs> and I would uh, – would <laughs> Chris trained me how to do updates and other things uh, in the SCORE studios. And, yeah, I, I, was, uh, I was part of that uh, – White Sox coverage team at the end there. Yeah, I was there too. I covered the whole thing. I I, I was working full time for WBBM at the time, so I did the the Boston trip, the Anaheim trip, the Houston trip, and obviously all of the the home games as well. And today is the six. I gotta make sure my math is right now. Sixteenth anniversary of, for my money, one of the greatest hits in. Chicago sports history. It was 2005, the World Series, Game 2, and then there was this. The base is loaded, two out, with Canerco on. And he rips one into left. Canerco, grand slam. First pitch from Qualls, goodbye. Bedlam in Chicago. Joe Buck on Fox. And, Mike, I don't think that that call does the crowd justice because the eruption that I heard in covering that game, I'm just going to say it. I've covered the Cubs World Series up front and close, Blackhawks finals. I've been there for that. Bulls playoffs. That's the loudest single Chicago sports venue moment that I have ever been a part of. Well, I, I I agree with you in terms of one of the most impactful and greatest hits in, in Chicago sports history. It was certainly loud. Uh, we haven't even, and I'm sure people who remember it, remember how they won that game. We'll talk about that in a second, <laughs> I'm sure. But it reminds me, too, another anniversary. It was the five-year anniversary. I believe it was yesterday of, and not to, uh, Sox fans are going to get mad at me, so I could, you could start the angry text now. The 2016 pennant clincher against the Dodgers. I actually sat in the seats with my buddy Tony. We were season ticket holders at the time, and we enjoyed uh, Kyle Hendricks over Clayton Kershaw, Cubs over the Dodgers. And that, the double play to end that oh. game was the loudest. Okay. That was the loudest uh, 
in-person sporting event moment that I have ever had as a, whether it's a fan, a reporter, whatever. Um, but I believe the fifth year, the five-year anniversary of that was, was uh, yesterday. But yes, I mean, in tr- not to take away from our White Sox, uh, Paul Canerco Grand Slam discussion, because that was a massive, and I remember, in the, you know, Joe Buck on the call, as you mentioned, it was, uh, didn't do it justice, just the excitement in there. Qualls comes in, first pitch, see you later, and the crowd just goes bananas. Mm. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, just the rumble and the the pure jubilation from the crowd, and I, I felt that. And you're right, the, the, the double play to get the Cubs into the World Series was, I mean, there were some, I mean, the, the, the Cubs... You know, noise meter is pretty close to that. Trust me, I'm not trying to denigrate sure. the Cubs in no, any I... way, shape, or form. But the that grant, like that hit in that spot. Now the Miguel Montero Grand Slam. There is just right. something about a Grand Slam that shakes everybody to their core in a really good way. And I'm actually glad you brought up the Cubs because I want to open it up to to people on the text line or if you want to call 312-644-6767 as a Chicago sports fan what is the loudest venue or moment that you have endured and even if it's not like one of these you know 10 on a scale of 1 to 10 um, actual games if it was just an individual innocuous game that you felt that heat and that loudness I, I want it I want to hear from you 312-644-6767 the the other one and so that the Paul Canerco Grand Slam game two, obviously in the World Series against Houston. That's 16 years ago today, and that game ended. Uh, I don't. I like it was the Potsetnik home run. Let's take a listen to it. Here it is. Potsetnik hits one to deep right center field. Back at the wall. This ball is gone. Potsetnik goes deep. His second home run of the postseason. Did they have like a lightning zapper on their home runs over at Fox? Was that their <laughs> thing then? Because that is annoying as hell. I I don't remember. And I, you know, the thing that strikes me, and listen, I say this as a Joe Buck fan. Um, the uh, and, and of course, it was Sox Astros. It wasn't exactly the most scintillating national TV matchup, but it just didn't sound super. He didn't sound super uh, excited uh, slash uh, emotional making that call. But I mean, I, I just thought the Pods walk off home run. I mean, what more unlikely guy to walk off a World Series game? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose you could go way back. I mean, I remember Christ was it the nineteen eighty five World Series with Ozzie Smith walking off a game? Was that or was that the National League playoffs that year? I mean, I'm trying oh. to rack my brain to think of a of a more unlikely walk-off candidate than than leadoff hitter Scotty Pods, but he was there for you. Hey, you're right about Joe Buck, but I I love Joe Buck, too. I think he's a great broadcaster, but uh, one thing that he does, and a lot of broadcasters do this now, I actually don't like the the let let television take in the moment and shut up. I I like the announcer talking over and and giving a little history on it and, you know, speaking through the moment. I mean, you don't have to be obnoxious about it, but I don't like the style that a lot of television guys have now where they call the play and then they just shut up for 30 seconds. I want to hear mm-hmm. that. I want to hear like the 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 magistry, the MC calling right. it and telling us and feeling the moment. I hate when they don't like. But again, I I do dig Joe Buck, but that's one part of his game I don't like. And a lot of the TV guys do that now. Yeah, listening to that, uh, you know, 16 years after the fact, uh, it strikes me as a very uh, non-exciting 
the home run call, right? I mean, it's exciting for us because we lived it and we remember the plays very fondly. We were there. Just, we were there. We, we <laughs> tell us about the Paul Canerco three technique, my friend. Uh, the the uh, yeah, the, listening to it though from a you know from a purely broadcast perspective, and if you're not a White Sox or Astros fan, you're probably like, yeah, okay. Right. You know, it's nothing. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. And it's because it was on TV and they, they let the majesty of the moment uh, take over a few text messages before we get to some of your calls. The, the, the Javier Baez home run in 2016 to win game one of the NLCS was crazy. Yes. Um, let's see what else. Oh, okay. 2013 Stanley Cup triple overtime goal. Yeah. Blackhawks national anthem around playoff time is still the most insane thing I've ever heard in person. Absolutely. Uh, from the 773, for me, it was the April 2018 Cubs game against the Braves when they came back and to win uh, from 10 down. I don't know if I that. Do you remember that, Espo? Uh, the, I, I am uh, trying to remember it, and I cannot. Uh, I was actually reading this uh, this one from the 708 uh, talking about loudest soldier field moment being any of Devin Hester's kickoff or punt returns for TDs. Uh, great memories. The stadium shook each time. Yay. I am transported to the – and though, that's a great one. I am thinking, though, and of course, because these were road games, I was not at these, but I got to imagine, because I know where it was, whether it was in my living room or in the case of the Super Bowl against the Colts in the bar I was standing in uh, when the game started, that was about as insane a fan experience as you're going to get. It's the Super Bowl. You're already all hyped up. It's the Bears. The opening kickoff is returned for a touchdown for the first time ever and your guy Devin Hester and our our hmm. you know favorite kick returner uh, for the Bears takes it to the house. Oh my god! And they were talking about it the whole week, right? We're not going to kick to Hester. We're not going to kick to Hester. The opening kickoff goes right to Hester. Touchdown. <laughs> that was insane. Yeah, I'll give you one more. And there every ton of people calling in, so we'll get to your calls here in just a second. Hang in there. The one one other for me was Michael Jordan returning to the United Center in a Washington Wizards game. I was there oh, covering that game. It was literally I, a 15-minute ovation, right? And that was – and I tell people this all the time because people always ask, you know, well, how, what's it like covering so-and-so? What's it like doing this? The one time – you know, you get used to – you know, and, and we were around the Sammy Sosas of the world and all the other various – you know, you're around the Bears now and whatever. Bears. And I think after a while, you, you, you kind of lose that – being starstruck thing, at least I did. The one time I was completely starstruck, and I had been doing this for a long time by then because I had never gotten to cover Jordan. But that game, the game you're talking about, when he came back to the UC and did this huge media thing, right, because of uh, being back in, in Chicago, it was like, you know, I'm telling, you know, reporter me is telling fan me, you know, stay in there, fan you. It's like, that's Michael Jordan. I've never gotten to do this, and I'm a little bit flustered, right? <laughs> so that was that was something, right? Yeah, sa- same. I'll, I'll give you like I, I'll match that story. You and you and I are the same age. We're basically the same people when it comes to experiences. Right. I also right. was not old enough to have covered any of the '90s Bulls titles too. So I covered the practice when Jordan was in town, and what I, what a lot of people of who endured all of the '90s endured is not the right word, but you were around for the '90s. The Bulls were a lifestyle, like not not sure. to, like going out for regular season game. Where are we meeting up tonight? It's the summer, like championships games. Where are we going tonight? Where are we meeting up? Like like it was an event. Every game was an, it's in the playoffs. It goes up and that. Where are we meeting up? Let's get reservations at this place or that place. Like it was a total lifestyle. And so 
during the practice, I, I kind of almost stepped out of reporter character too. And Jordan was just sitting there. He was all by himself. Um, th- this would have been my opportunity to go up to him. And what I wanted to say to him was, uh-huh. dude, I, no, seriously, I wanted to say, thank you for entertaining the hell out of me in the 90s. Now, I didn't do it because I talked myself out of it. I decided that that's not a very professional thing to do, but that that was what was going through my brain when I saw Jordan with the Wizards just sitting there. And I'm kind of glad I talked myself out of it because it would have been a real like Chris Farley fanboy yep. moment, and he probably so, would have just shooed me off and I would have been pulled back by like 15 PR people, but that, uh-huh. that's what I was feeling. Yeah, you, you'll you'll enjoy this one because the the one time I actually did that. So as a kid, and as you said, we're the same age. We're born in the born in the early seventies. Uh, you know, we're in our late forties now. Don't so worry you know about it. Era, right? Don't worry about it. We 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 were <laughs> we were at Wrigley Field in the press box covering the game, whatever random Cubs game it was. Uh-huh. And Sean Dunstan was the seventh inning stretch guy, and I loved. Oh, I can't even tell you Sean-a-meter. how much I loved the Seanometer. I can't tell you how much I love Sean Dunstan growing up. And I said to him, I said exactly what you just said. I said, listen, don't, don't fanboy on it. You, it, cause I had never met him. I was far too young to have covered it. That's okay. You could do it with Sean. He was just there to sing the stretch. You should have done it. So that's, I did. So that okay. is exactly what I did before. You know how they do. They bring him in the little lunchroom before, before he goes out and mm-hmm. sings. And I very nicely went in there and I said, listen, I said, I don't want anything from you. I don't need you to come on the radio station. I'm not trying to interview I just wanted to say thanks. I loved watching you when I was a kid. He was actually a little embarrassed by this. And I was only there for like 20 seconds. But it was really, it was a heartfelt, um, you know, you were my favorite player growing up. Thank you for, you know, you know how you played the right, game. I loved right. watching you, blah, 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 right? That was that was uh, the one time I kind of fanboyed out, in a, a, although in the lunchroom at Wrigley Field. So it wasn't uh, in under official duties, and I wasn't trying to interview him. So that was... Uh, that was my moment, Mark. I, I love just it. Shared it with I you. love it. Let's go to Daryl in Bolingbrook. Daryl, you're on the score. Oh, good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Good, Daryl. What's up, buddy? Hey, Daryl. Well, I, I, we're talking. I want to change up to the Bulls. You're speaking of the Bulls of the '90s. The loudest event I was at was during the second three-peat. Uh, we were playing the Lakers at home, and they were just giving us their uh, behinds, right? Just giving it to us. In the fourth quarter, the Bulls made this furious comeback. And it was capped off by Tony Kukoc hit a three to put us ahead. Man, I've never heard that place that loud. Mm. Never. It was it was it was awesome. It was awesome. All right, thanks guys. That's Thank all I you. To say. Pre- appreciate the call. Yeah, United Center and Chicago Stadium, known for some very large yeah. roars for sure. Jordan in Libertyville, you're on the score. Hey, well you were, you weren't lying about it being a lifestyle. Do you? Remember, I was talking about this the other day. Do you remember that Dennis Rodman, Bigsby, and Crother sign that, like, stopped traffic? They had to take it down. Absolutely. Uh, on the, on the Kennedy, ramp. yep. 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 That's crazy. But anyway, I, I would go Kerry Wood, the home run in Game 7. Oh, yeah, that's um, good. After yeah. the Barman one, it, the place just erupted. That's good. That just crazy. Yeah, no that that's a that's a great one. That that place was – yeah, it, it gets – like, the, those moments – in in a stadium where it gets so loud, it's almost like the crowd, like it almost cancels itself out. It's like this, like, like you, I, I can't explain it. Like your ears go to a different place. It's one big slow motion, 10 rumble of greatness sound. And now I'm just using words. <laughs> uh, no, it, well, and you know what? And Mark, I, I was, I was covering that game and sitting and you know how the old Wrigley press box was too small to accom- accommodate all of the media so some of us got put out in the upper deck surrounding the press box. I'm sure you had to do that as well. 
but we were sitting so next to the press box in the upper deck when that happened, and that place just went nuts when Kerry Wood hit that. Oh, home. that is a good example. Yeah, Mo and Niles, you're on the score. Hey, I was actually just about to say the Kerry Wood thing, same thing as the callers. But yeah. uh, I love the show, guys. Appreciate you guys. Thank you, Mo. I appreciate Thanks, it. Mo. Let's go to Vince. Vince, you're on the score. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm going to switch gears and get out of the the pro field for uh, forever. I've been covering like high school sports for a lot of the Chicago papers, and one of the best I remember, probably is why I do it, is I was in high school and it was 1990, uh, first round of the playoffs, and Joliet Catholic was playing Morris, and they're both ranked like number one and number two in the state, and uh, I just remember walking to the stadium. And they were doing the uh, lineup announcements, and it was, you know, I had to park like three blocks away, and Joliet Memorial Stadium holds like 10,000 plus, and just the roar of the crowd could be heard from like three, four blocks away, and that's just almost unheard of in like a high school game, and it's probably the most intense I've seen in 27 years of covering sports. Great stuff, Vince. Yeah, man. And Mike, I don't know if you have covered high school sports in your life, but that was one of the way that yep. I, ways that I cut my teeth in Lincoln and Peoria and sure. Springfield. And some of those high school gyms where they take it really seriously. And I'm sure I, I've never covered high school sports in Chicago, but at least in Central Illinois, yeah, that that was as deafening and and loud as as it gets in those little smaller gyms. Absolutely no, and and uh, I know that's why you know, and you watch a Friday Night Lights or something like that in terms of uh, just the the uh, uh, the allure of the high school games, and especially in those smaller towns. And uh, I have some friends down in the Dallas area, visited there many times, and you see some of the high school football stuff that goes on down in in Texas is the stereotype, and it, it we'll use it here. But I mean, absolutely agreed with. Uh, with uh, our last caller there. I mean, the high school atmospheres in the right stadiums here, absolutely 100%. Here's a good one from the 847, Illinois, Arizona at oh, Allstate yeah. Arena. I was courtside for that, covering it for WBBM. And, man, that, you know, the the, the acoustics are weird at the original Rosemont Horizon at Allstate Arena, but, man, that dark, dingy, weird building got loud that day. <laughs> well, they were down. I mean, they had no business, of course. They had no business winning that game. Uh, but that is still one of the favorite teams as an Illini, uh, Illini alum, uh, one of my favorite teams ever. Um, certainly the last time in basketball that I was super hyped up on an Illinois team. And uh, they, they just quite a comeback. And just the the, the members of that team, uh, all of them doing it, Luther Head and Darren Williams. I just remember oh Darren God. Williams hitting three-pointers, right? I mean, that's that's... That was great. Oh yeah, and D Brown. That that was a fun team to to cover and watch, and they pulled up short against North Carolina in St. Louis. But well, uh, there it is. That was fun. I didn't expect that, that was a to lot turn, of fun. turn into that. We didn't even get to all that we wanted to. We'll circle back to some of the other baseball and Dusty Baker and the Cubs of yes. today a little bit later on. But we'll take a break, and when we come back, let's get back to Bears and Buccaneers. We're going to talk to the Buccaneers radio man, or actually of WDAE Radio. Pat Donovan. He's next on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. Uh, they're front seven. You know, of course, they have, you know, one of the best front sevens in the league. So, um, you know, just being dominant up front and, and, and stopping those guys, I think, you know, they do a great job stopping the run. And, of course, you know, their scheme is just uh, great, too. So, We've been trying to figure out how in the world are the Bears going to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers tomorrow at 325. Along with Mike Esposito, I'm Mark Grody on the score. That was the voice of Justin Fields talking about the front seven. 
of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they are certainly a force. Mm-hmm. They are a force. Are they? Is there anywhere places that are not a force, Mike? I think they're a force everywhere, aren't they? They're. When you're the Super Bowl champion and you still have Tom Brady and 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 that roster, you are definitely a force. Tom Brady makes it. Tom Brady makes the special teams guys better. So we have not come up with a with a <laughs> right. a, a particularly succinct or fortified uh, hack of a way for the Bears to beat the Buccaneers. Maybe we can get some intel from our next guest. He is Pat Donovan of WDAE Radio in Tampa Bay. Joins us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. What's going on, Pat? How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys? We are doing well. The The only area, Pat, that we came up with in terms of maybe this matchup the Bears can exploit a little bit has been the, the Tampa Bay secondary and those that attempt to cover receivers, etc. Has that been a bad part or just not as good as the rest? I would say not as good as the rest. I, I struggle to call it bad because – even though there's been times when the secondary has absolutely played poorly, listen, they're, they're just ravaged by injuries right now. I mean, when you're going and getting Richard Sherman off the couch and then he gets hurt, you know, I've actually mm-hmm. been impressed with the way the secondary has fought, even though they, at, at times they haven't played very well. When you look at what they did to Jalen Hurts last week, very, very impressive. But yeah, to you guys' point, I think if there's a way, if there's a possibility that the Bears find a way to win tomorrow afternoon, it would be kind of a, a coming of age from Justin Field to, listen, I don't have to tell you guys, I've been, I've been really impressed with the young man. You know, when you come out in your first game and you're sacked nine times, <laughs> you expect a little bit of shell shock. You guys have watched him closer than I have. I haven't necessarily seen that. No, and and uh, that's that's kind of where we were talking, taking this uh, this morning, uh, Pat. Is you know if this is not a Justin Fields game, I don't know that the Bears have a chance to win because how they've been having success uh, the last month or so is by running the ball, and you know they beat the Lions, they beat the Raiders mainly because of their run game, but we haven't really had that Justin Fields game yet, and and I don't know that you're going to be able to run the ball against this Tampa defense, and I think. Uh, to, to what we've been talking about in order to score enough to, to beat Tom Brady and company, you're going to have to have a passing game. No question about it. It's going to have to be Justin Fields and, and Justin Fields through the air because uh, I've, I've seen a few run defenses in my life like this. And, and, and you guys would probably agree. I, I'm, I'm at the point where I don't think there's any such thing as a dominant defense in today's NFL. I think it's just with the rules today and, and some other things I just, you, you don't see a dominant defense in the NFL, but at least when it comes to stopping the run, the Buccaneers are there to the point where half, I mean, most of the teams they've played have just not even tried. Even the Dallas Cowboys with Ezekiel Elliott and then the offense that they have, they didn't even try to run the football against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Vita Vea, you know, for as dominant as Aaron Donald is against the pass and as, as dominant a player as Aaron Donald is, I think Vita Vea, when it comes to just stopping the run, he's, he's right up there with, with Aaron Donald. The kid is... Uh, just an unbelievable athlete to be that big and that strong and that fast. He really clogs things up inside. And between the way that they stop the run and the fact that they've got those issues in the secondary, you guys are 100% right. If it's going to be a Bears win or if they're going to keep it close, it's going to be because Justin Fields has a big day.
Talking to Pat Donovan of WDAE Radio in Tampa Bay, along with Mike Esposito, I'm Mark Grody here on The Score. The, the, we all know the Bears beat Tampa Bay last year in primetime by one little point, 20-19. to 19. And we also know that Tom Brady kind of embarrassed himself because he did not know the downs. That said, does, does he want to crush the Bears because all of that went down? You know, it's so funny. We've been talking about that a little bit this week, and I kind of speculated a little bit myself i said i almost wonder right if the tampa bay buccaneers don't go on to win the super bowl last year do we ever find out remember it wasn't until tom brady was with the white house calling himself sleepy tom that we found out that he or at least that he admitted that he had forgotten that we all knew right we all knew that he had forgotten and we the look on his face everything told us what we needed to know but I don't know that Tom Brady ever would have admitted it. Maybe he would. He's having a lot more fun here in Tampa. Warm weather Tom is just a different Tom. But I still, I wonder to myself, would he have ever come clean and, and admitted that he didn't know? And I, I do suspect not so much that, that there's any anger at the Chicago Bears because he embarrassed himself on his own, right? But yeah. I do think that because of that, he would love to come out and throw the ball all over the field tomorrow. That said, because of the issues in the secondary, because of the issues – uh, when it comes to injuries on the defense, I really think that they want to just in general, regardless of opponent, kind of keep the ball on the ground a little bit more often than they would normally mm. keep it in Leonard Fournette's hands, keep that defense off the field just because you can't afford for anybody else to get hurt. So I thought he was going to throw it all over New England, and we saw everything but that. So while I think he might do it again tomorrow, who the hell knows? <laughs> Yeah, and that's funny too, Pat, because, you know, with this Bears team, you know, stronger defense, not as strong of an offense, a team that would probably welcome that game plan. Like, please, Tampa, please run the ball and don't let Tom unleash it on us because that's how we're going to stay in this game. You're almost playing into the Bears' hands a little bit, but I get what you're saying. You've got you've got some, some receiver injuries with Brown and Gronk being out uh, on your offense, the Tampa offense, and then defensively. Uh, with uh, with the difficulties there, I mean that that uh, that makes sense, but it doesn't in the same weird way, right? No, you're 100 percent right. Normally, you would you would definitely want to uh, air it out and and just be explosive offensively. And I think more times than not, that's always what the Buccaneers are going to want to do offensively. But I just think the caution that they're going to have, and and that I would have personally, just because of all the injuries on the defense. And, and you're right. You mentioned Rob Gronkowski. You mentioned Antonio Brown it's almost disgusting how deep they are offensively that you can be missing a couple players of that caliber and go, Oh, it's cool that we find, but that's where they are. And, you know, my, my uh, buddy that I work with and I, we were noting at one game, the way, you know, there was a crucial play and we noticed here goes Mike Evans and Chris Godwin off the field onto the sideline. And they're, you know, the way that a lot of deep, a lot of teams rotate in and out defensive linemen, the Buccaneers somehow rotate in and out explosive weapons into their offense in the same way. So you look at the losses on offense and while they, you know, you'd love to have those guys in the lineup. You think, Oh, we'll be just fine. In terms of these injuries that sticking with that Levante, David, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski and Richard Sherman all ruled out. And and you could be totally honest with us on this, Pat. Is there part of Tampa Bay that's like, you know what, why don't we just, you know, they, they could probably play, but it's the bears and we're home and we, we've got some much tougher games coming up. You know, let, let's set them for this game. I think when you, you know, I can't tell you what the organization would feel or the coaching staff. I think they want to try to win every game, but I think a lot of the fans 
certainly kind of do look at it that way. And it's a conversation we've been having here really for, for a couple of weeks now, right? Philadelphia last week was a team that you looked at and said, eh, a little shorthanded, but we'll get by. And mm-hmm. I think you look ahead at the schedule while New Orleans is very interesting next week. And, you know, Jameis has been a lot more efficient for the Saints. I, I still feel like the Buccaneers are, you know, a significantly better football team there too. So you look at the head of the, ahead of the schedule and there isn't a game, there isn't a team that you look at and think, even with injuries, we don't have a real good shot until Buffalo on December 12th. So while you hate to have all the injuries, I think fans can be very, very patient knowing this is a team with a schedule that they should be able to move themselves through the season and into the playoffs despite all the injuries. Yep. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's funny too, Pat, because I'm looking at the bear schedule as you talk about in Tampa is clearly playing with January and February in their minds, hopefully uh, in mind as they, as they juggle everything. And with the bears, I mean, the bears have just had uh, the lighter portion of their schedule. If you look at the bears forthcoming schedule, there's not a game until Thanksgiving day against the lions where they're going to probably be favored. And even then it's at Detroit. They may or may not be favored but there's not a gimme on the Bears schedule for the next uh, uh, month or so. And uh, this is a team that's, you know, still three and three in contention, but it would be a huge win. It would be a statement win for the Bears if they could somehow pull this off with Justin Fields besting Tom Brady and all the storylines that go with that. Yeah, there's no question about it. And I got to be honest, if I'm a Chicago Bears fan, I love it. Give me all the monsters, right? I want all those teams because the reality is if I'm a Bears fan, I don't expect my rookie quarterback to bring me to a Super Bowl, but I look at Justin Fields, as I said earlier, as a kid that I feel like can become a very good NFL quarterback and getting him battle tested, getting him through some of those wars early in his career so that, you know what, when, when next season comes around, he's even more prepared. I love it. So it's not going to be an easy task for the Chicago Bears and for Justin Fields, but I think it's very good for the young man as you know, to, to, to go through those battles in a season again this year where I think you, you you can't expect him to bring you to a Super Bowl. So the playoffs are probably a best-case scenario. And if you're going to be there, why not be there as prepared as possible? And that's going to happen with these with these battles that are in front of the young man. So I, while it's going to be tough and you're probably going to get a couple of losses out of it and it might not be fun some Sundays, I'd be very excited for this stretch coming up if I was a Bears fan. Pat, is Tampa Bay, in, even taking Tom Brady out of the, the equation, is Tampa Bay a football town or a baseball town or a hockey town? What, what kind of a sports town is Tampa Bay? Is this the primary team in town? Oh, no question about it. And I love to remind people, uh, you know, the further north we go, I love to remind people that the, the Tampa Bay is a hockey town because people can't believe it. And it really is a baseball town. <laughs> yeah. And it just doesn't, you know, they're not showing up at the ballpark. But when you look at the TV numbers and the radio numbers, and the, the, people love the Rays around here, even though it doesn't necessarily show up on TV. So around the country, people kind of look at us like, do they really give a damn? But the, the reality is, they do, but as much as we love hockey in Tampa Bay, as much as we love the Tampa Bay Rays, this is a football state. It's always been a football state. I don't ever expect that to change. And frankly, I always look at people sideways when they say they like something better than football anyways, because <laughs> I have always believed it's king and should be. Uh-huh. Uh, but with, without a question, especially with the Buccaneers being relevant, remember, guys, we're talking about a team that for the longest time had the worst winning percentage in the history, not of football, in pro sports. Sure. So this is a fan base that's been through hell with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers outside of one great run earlier, right, with Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks and that team. Outside of that, 
this franchise for the most part has been bad. So they're finally getting to experience winning and they're loving it. But even when the team's bad, the reality is Florida will always be football first. That's partly why I love it here. Well, Espo and I both <laughs> yeah. remember back in the, the 80s when the Bears and Tampa Bay were in the same division. And, Mikey, oh, it was yeah. two automatic wins for the Bears back then in the Dreams of Cold Uniforms. That's right. Give me Steve DeBerg dropping back and we'll sack him 10 times and the Bears will uh, come out with a victory, I think. that's uh, That was uh, a recipe for success for the Bears. But, no, and it's funny, too, Mark, because I'm thinking the exact same thing. And the other thing, too, and I know – we talked about people hating Tom Brady just because of how successful he's been and just how he rubs some people the wrong way. Boston had that wonderful run of all of their sports teams winning, and now it seems to have transferred to Tampa with Tom Brady, with the Lightning and, and with the Rays and, and with the Bucks. See, you're 100% right, and it's weird because I'm that odd sports fan that I didn't grow up a New England Patriots fan, even though I did grow up in Massachusetts, but I still grew up always loving Tom Brady because I grew up a New York Giants fan and I'm smart enough to realize that Tom Brady's greatness is the reason why Eli Manning is going to the Hall of Fame. So, I yeah. love Tom Brady. Yeah. I love Tom Brady just for that reason. Now, hey, I won't lie. The guy's been great for my career since becoming sure. a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. And uh, you know what? As I mentioned, I've been here since 2006, so I certainly haven't been here for all of the lean years, but I've, I've experienced a lot of them. And I've watched a fan base whether you're talking about the Rays or the Lightning or the Buccaneers, this Tampa Bay fan base, they're a little sensitive sometimes because people don't believe in them around the country. But because we have so many transplants, people like myself, it's kind of hard to build that core. But that core fan base, those people that I know have been here for a lifetime, have been through all that losing, to watch them experience this run, has been so gratifying for me because I know so many of those people, so many of those fans in Tampa Bay that have just been through hell as sports fans. And now this is like, you know, they're walking through the pearly gates of sports, man. And I love watching them do it. It's like, it's, it's, it was wholly unexpected that Tom Brady would end his career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I, I mean, yeah, you guys are the chosen ones. (laughs) it's it's crazy listen i don't like to pat myself on the back but i remember spending many afternoons on my show telling people there's no chance tom brady's leaving the new england patriots (laughs) stop it he'll be back in new england Jameis will be back with us stop it already and then it all happened and i went are you kidding me yeah and and not only did it happen he won a title and there's no reason why tom brady can't win another title this year pat great stuff man thank you very much look forward to talking to you down the road anytime guys thanks a lot yep talk to you later pat donovan wdae radio right here on the score along with mike esposito i'm mark grody yeah i mean Tampa Bay's got it going on. And I, I will say this, uh, Tampa Bay Rays, like, I think it's at the point where I could say it. Sure. That's a great organization. Like, really. Oh, like, organizationally, maybe the best in baseball. Going back to, going back to you know, the, the early Joe Madden years and the, uh, 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 the Andrew Friedman uh, GM years. Yeah. I mean, this is going back, what, 15 years probably now? And they Sustained success. More, they do more with less. And, right. 100%. I agree with you. It used to be, oh, the Devil Razor at the time, the Devil Razor, now <laughs> right. the Rays. You know, that was an automatic win, just like the Buccaneers were in the 80s. But uh, that has changed. And, uh, uh, and, and you know what? And we can talk about a little baseball when we come back, too, because I, for one, I know the Astros have a taint to them. 
But I will root for the Astros, if only because of one of our former Chicago managers doing his job. I want to hear this. That's Espo. I'm Grody. Talking baseball next on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. Here comes the 0-1. Fly ball into left. That should do it. Astros win the pennant. And I'm sure then there was like three minutes worth of just camera showing dead air yeah dead air. <laughs> i don't know i just like a narrator i like a narrator for my big sports moments and i like joe no, buck. It, i just don't like that part of this game i like joe buck and uh of course i was rooting for the white Sox in uh their playoff series with the astros uh, you know all of chicago was i think um but as you're sitting there looking and and i have a soft spot for some of the dodgers players uh and the braves are a great story in the national league but if you're looking in the American League, to me, and I, I kind of realized this by accident during that Astros series, it's like, all right, after the Astros beat the Sox, I said, I actually said this to my wife. I said, I said, well, I guess I'm rooting for Houston. And she was like, well, why? You know, because the whole cheating thing is still in the back of everyone's minds. And I, I, I don't know if this surprises or doesn't surprise a lot of Cubs fans. I actually found myself, you know, the more I sat there and watched Dusty Baker on the screen, I'm like, I love Dusty. I, I can't help it. I mean, I know I know how it ended with the Cubs, and I know it wasn't the greatest, but you'll remember he was the second coming when he came in to to manage the Cubs, right? Do you remember that that uh, just the uh, the pageantry? It's like holy cow, the Cubs got Dusty Baker. Yeah, I mean, he was, and I will say that Don Baylor, to a slightly lesser degree, kind of started the the Cubs on a string of bringing in superstar managers. So Baylor kind of mm-hmm. began that. and then But Dusty Baker, that was the hot candidate. And I know that people yep. in San Francisco were like, because it was the year before, there should have been red flags. Dusty Baker got the damn San Francisco Giants to the World Series the year before he came to the Cubs in 2002 mm-hmm. and it was like why is he available i mean and that and i think that that too right. to to another degree that was that was the beginning of to, to in some area of showing us that the, the the manager is not as important as we all think and i think san fran started that trend and obviously they did what they did with bruce bochi who became a star mm-hmm. in his own right but Dusty Baker was, yeah, he was that first guy for the Cubs, and then they took it to, obviously, Lou Pinella, who was another superstar manager, Joe Madden, yep. a superstar manager. There was a few in between yep. with your Dale Swames and your Ricky Renterias of the uh-huh. world, and I don't know what category one would put David Ross. I, I mean, I... I, he's not a celebrity manager. He he was he was the other trend of bringing ex players in who are relatively yep. recently exed from the game and right. having them try to be a manager. And that's what that's right. what David Ross is doing. A generation ago, David Ross would have been hired for Class A to manage, and he would have had to work his way up through the minor leagues. Uh, what it has become, exactly as you just said is that they don't do that anymore. They know David Ross knows baseball, and we heard about this. And, and you know, we were fortunate enough to have Rossi on our air weekly with uh, with our morning show during that Cubs championship run. Right. And you got to hear just hear him dropping knowledge on, on us uh, on a weekly basis. But, um, you know, he was a consultant. I don't remember his exact front office title when Theo uh, and Jed had him in as a uh, assistant to the general manager, whatever Costanza title he had just so he could be up there and, and working in the front office. 
But then he worked on ESPN. He was on Dancing with the Stars and all the other wonderful things he did because, you know, the Cubs World Series. But, you know, a guy that has generally gotten positive reviews for what he's done as the Cubs skipper and uh, has done so without a, a wit of experience in the minor leagues. But when I think of Dusty, and maybe this is the, you know, the uh, the old heartstrings pulling at it, you know, here is a guy who has literally been in baseball since before I was born. He was on deck when Hank Aaron hit his 715th home run. He was, he's got all of his playing history. He's got all of his managerial history. He's a guy who's had success, uh, but he's never reached that elusive World Series title. So maybe that's the part of it. And I don't know, maybe Cub fans think I'm crazy, but I, I'm going to guess a decent amount of Cub fans are, are going to find themselves, even though it's the Astros, rooting for Dusty Baker. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And I think that there is like, for everything that happened in 2003 and all the stupid Cubs stuff that's happened through history, that all got wiped out in 2016, you know, to where the right. Cubs were a joke and there were colossally horrible things that happened in, in 2003 with on Dusty Baker's watch. And then you and I can go through the rest, 1984, 89, 07, 08, right. um, on and on and on. Um, and that was sports tragic. There's no doubt about it. What 2016 did was, was clean the slate for a lot of people, including Steve Barton and I think Dusty Baker for whatever role people want to blame him for in 2003 and it's pitch count I think in a lot of cases Uh or not making a walk out to the mound at critical junctures but you know Dusty Baker got the Cubs to a point that's when people started like it, it didn't it didn't necessarily carry over in 03 but when they hired Dusty Baker there was a credibility given back to the organization or maybe given to the organization which it never really had except yep. for you know the 84 I think there was some credibility factor and you know with every with Harry Carey coming there and winning the division and Wrigleyville becoming Wrigleyville but Dusty Baker actually had a lot to do with the the credibility of the Cubs going forward and some of the managers they had after him Sure. Yeah, I mean, when when the Cubs were a wild card team in 98, I didn't think, boy, in 99, they're going to win the division. I mean, I was optimistic, but I was not that optimistic. In 03 and then into 04, you remember the kids, or the kids, the Cubs were in first place for most of 2004 oh, until they... Went really bad. Until they, <laughs> they went really bad. And then, right, and then all the dusty fallout happened, and then you get not... And I won't even attempt to do Lou. You do a much better Lou than I do, but... I mean, come on now. Now, now look, you had you had 0708 with you with saw Lou, the damn which, game. Now, yep. listen, yep. right. Oh, man. So so that was good stuff. But right. And then and a texter, I got a good chuckle out of this, said, how could you forget the great Mike Quaddy? And you did it, forget Mike Quaddy. Yeah. And then it's then it raised by by Jim Essien, <laughs> Jim Essien. Who I love for a second, like Jim Essien started his Cubs career with like eight straight wins. And then he just became yeah. he can't became a, a, a Alpo so so Hoonan. Gotta can't even yep. say his name. Type of type of joke for sure. Yep. In, in and, managerial lore. And to the two oh tick two oh six texter said the kid Dusty always had with him is probably in his twenties now. That's his son Darren Baker. And yeah. he is in his twenties. And there was a picture of the two of them in the Astros dugout, like this week. So you could very easily Google Dusty and Darren Baker and you will find that picture. And it is uh, Darren I I know was a college baseball player. I don't know what he's doing like right this second in terms of baseball, but he did play in college. That was Dusty's son. That's pretty incredible. Yep. We're all getting a little bit older now. And and now here, here the Cubs are with David Ross still as a man. It seemingly got a vote of confidence from Jed Hoyer and that they want him around. What I do wonder now is that is this is David Ross 
the manager that you have just for a while while the Cubs are are bad. Like he was there for one good year where they win the division in the 60-game season, and then last year things went horribly, horribly wrong. And now this year, who the hell knows what this year entails. Is is David Ross going to be the Cubs manager when they're good again, you think? I, I think this I think the answer is yes, but I think we're definitely we're gonna get our definitive answer in the next year or two watching how he navigates this kind of next generation Cubs team, right? Because uh, this year was the teardown that I, I don't know that we knew was coming, but apparently they knew was coming. Uh, so let's see after free agency and after everything else how this looks. But I think I think they think he's he's a uh, good manager and that they want to keep him around for the long term. But as we always say, and as we always hear baseball managers are hired to be fired. There are very few Bobby Cox comes to mind that actually goes out on his own terms. Right. right. Well, they, they loved, honestly, they, they loved Ricky Renteria and Dale Swain. And I'm not, I'm not joking. Like, but they sure. loved them because they could control them and get them through a tough period. And I just wonder if there's some of that going on with, with David Ross as well. And I am sorry that I had forgot to mention uh, Bruce Kim, too. You remember Bruce Kim? <laughs> oh, for sure. I've had the pleasure of interviewing a Bruce Kim many times. Wow, that is that is fantastic. Mike, this has been fun, man. It's great to hear your voice. Great to be on with you here today, buddy. I, I appreciate it, buddy. Good to do the show with you. Anytime I can do it, I am here for you. Thanks to the following people for being on the show today. Thank you to Cody Westerland covering the Bulls. We had Mark Potash covering the Bears. We had Pat Donovan in Tampa Bay to get an insight on the Buccaneers. Cesar Perez producing the show. Rami Makloff coming up next. I'm Mark Grody for Mike Esposito. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll be talking a lot of Bears tomorrow. On Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. It wouldn't have been possible if we weren't here to be told how much we suck. So kudos to you guys for sucking as bad as we do. Oh, yes. Wait Wait a minute, minute, Mr. Post. Wait, wait. Wait. Oh, yeah. That's it. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.